0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to the Bus Driver Experience. I hope wherever you are around the world in the United States, wherever you may be, that you're staying safe, you're staying well. And, um, you know, if this thing has impacted you, I'm here for you. I think we're all here for each other right now. And yeah, um, haven't been podcasting, haven't put out content, but uh, I've been reaching out all across the web. To connect with people who um, have a lot more knowledge and a lot more um, understanding of what's happening and what's going on right now. I think education is one of the biggest keys and the biggest factors to um, help people get a gist and to grasp their head around everything. So, I have a special guest to come on the show today. I have Leah Hamner. Uh, She's the lead of communicable disease and epidemiology up in Skagit County uh, Public Health. Um, It's a county outside of Seattle. And... The S- Washington State has been one of the places. Um, I don't know, still a hot spot, but was deemed a hotspot um, impacted by the COVID nineteen virus. And she's someone who's been working on the ground, working on phone, fo- working on the phone with people, not just in her county, but all around the country. Um, she's got some great insights, some great knowledge and education to not only what you can do right now, um, how we can treat this virus going forward, and um, A lot of misconceptions and misinformation that you know you may have heard or you may have uh, been told before Uh, she does an amazing job of explaining a lot of things and I'm hoping to get a lot of these podcasts out um, going forward in the foreseeable future so make sure you check the links in the bio below all the information um, and knowledge from where you can get your $1,200 check from the IRS to what's some great stuff um you can do, whether it's quarantining, whether it's isolation, whether it's donating blood, or whether it's volunteering, you know? This is war. We're at war with something we've never been at war at um in our lifetimes. And it's start time it's about time we start treating it like that. This is not a drill. So I'm very happy to welcome Leah Hamner on the bus driver experience podcast.
1: Okay.
0: Leah Hamner, welcome on the bus driver experience. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much.
0: I'm very happy you were able to take this call and don't jump on the show. I can't imagine, um, you know, what it's like working in a pandemic going on around the world. We haven't had one of these in, you know, a good hundred years, and uh, lo and behold, we uh, jumped the epidemic to a pandemic. Because you know, I could say we've had definitely a few epidemics every so often. They, you know, people like to associate them with every two years of an election cycle, but, um, I don't think it works that way. (laughs) Awesome. So, um, I'd love for you to, you know, um, introduce yourself way better, like, uh, way better than I could. So, um, give people a little bit of background, who you are, where you're working at and, uh, what you're working on.
1: Sure. So, Again, my name is Leah and I'm a communicable disease epidemiologist. What that means is I like to study infectious diseases, how they transmit from person to person, but also how to prevent that from happening really is what our goal is at the end of the day. And so I am based in Skagit County Public Health. We're a county of 125,000 people, so it's not that large, Um, but we're pretty much sandwiched between vancouver bc and seattle so and that's only a two-hour drive so it's a pretty condensed corridor on i-5 where there's quite a large population center north and south of us so even though we're not that big we still have lots of people traveling through we have lots of different people coming into the county so it's an interesting place to work and also being a small county we're a small team we're usually only six people in the whole communicable disease department at the Department of Public Health in our county. And so six people is not an adequate number these days. We've roped in pretty much every single person of our 60-person public health department into this response at this point. But I'm interested in also communicating what our normal looks like as well as what pandemic looks like because i think that helps people understand what a public health department does mm-hmm. and part of that is really we're like we're disease detectives that's our job is figuring out where diseases came from who had it first who they gave it to and who's infected next and trying to prevent that from happening so that involves calling people all the time trying to do interviews to figure out where they might have gotten it um and we do every communicable disease that's legally notifiable and outbreaks when you can't anticipate what's coming next counts also but there's like 95 different diseases we're responsible for at any given time to be able to respond to
0: that's amazing you have to keep on top of it's amazing
1: it's it's a great job because honestly, you're always learning and it, you have to be willing to say you don't know the answer and you have to be willing to educate yourself really fast to be able to respond appropriately. And so it's a lot of fun, but right now it's pretty stressful. so.
0: I can't imagine. I mean, and is would you say you have to be constantly learning because, you know, these things are living organisms and they're constantly adapting, evolving, and mutating themselves. That, you know, you kinda gotta stay ahead or guess where they're going their next move is next.
1: Yeah, it it really depends. I would say a lot of the bugs we deal with are actually fairly stable. They've been the way they are for a long time. It's maybe human dynamics that change and make it easier for them to spread. Um climate change impacts a lot of the diseases we see especially anything that starts with a insect like tick-borne diseases or mosquito-borne diseases those will change where those start showing up as climates change um but also just global travel made everything happen in your own backyard that you never thought you'd ever see
0: people take that for granted just how things can spread and you know we see that with animals i'm from florida And you see what the amount of animals that have been dumped into Florida, especially into the Everglades as, um, you know, species that would never exist there, but it's actually the perfect climate or habitat for them. And, you know, you add something that we can't even see, which are infectious diseases. And I mean, the way those things can travel and spread, it's, you know, we take it for granted, but also it's like the perfect, perfect setup for, you know, an organism like this.
1: Yes, it is the perfect setup. And one of the things that We in infectious disease always, we always knew something like this was gonna happen. It was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when. It's much like us West Coasters thinking about earthquakes. Like there was that huge New York Times article about how the Pacific Northwest is gonna get absolutely rocked at some point in the next 200 years. Don't know when in the next 200 years, but we're gonna get rocked by a mega earthquake. That's kind of the same Perspective, we have an infectious disease. At some point, we were going to get rocked by a pandemic. I know a lot of people are really sinking their teeth into some conspiracy theories, uh, bioterrorism theories, but you know, it really is an inevitability that a bug, a virus would jump from animals to humans and be highly infectious, and then people would fly around the world and take it with them.
0: Before we jump into that part, cause that's a whole nother can of worms, so to say. I wanted to ask you about that human dynamic you just mentioned, and you know, not necessarily these you know diseases, whether they're a virus or they're bacteria, have necessarily changed or mutated or moved. What are some of those human human dynamics that have you know Im- impacted us to be more susceptible to some things like these happening?
1: Well, so what immediately jumps to mind is another epidemic that. I've been trying to raise awareness about in my job is STDs. In my county, gonorrhea has gone up 700%, 700% in 10 years. I
0: don't it's want pain- to laugh, but I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. It's painful to think about. It's crazy. And there's a lot of reasons why you could suppose that that happens. But one of the major theories people love to blame is hookup culture and dating apps and being able to find partners where you couldn't find them before. So that is a human dynamic that has changed a lot in the last 20 years. And so that is an example that immediately pops to mind. Um, Others is just the amount of people that just travel the world and then they're really getting into jungle territory or they're getting into all sorts of animal interactions. Those kinds of experiences are very easy for a viral transmission between an h- animal and a human.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that leads us, you know, uh, jumping into the, the big topic the COVID 19 and this, you know, mutation of the coronavirus. Am I right in saying that? Did yeah, we- well,
1: it's not, it's its own coronavirus, it's its own okay. species. So, yeah, it was in a, I think it started in a bat and then it jumped to a pangolin, is what their theory is, and then it jumped to a human.
0: Yeah. I've no. seen some of these wet markets in South America. Um, I was actually in China in December in India. Um, you know, not too long of a time, but you know, like you said, how we travel and how we get to where we got. And um I think a lot of people don't understand too that, you know, since agriculture, this is one of the trade offs of agriculture, since we've been this close with animals. Of especially the mammalian am- animals that are very close to us that very cl- some have very close code dna and genetic codes to us that the jumping of species has been a th- the biggest blunder of agriculture for our societies we could say because you know smallpox came from was it cows or pigs or um and a lot of these you know very very big diseases that wiped out other civilizations and peoples and you know, people don't w- want to look at that or you know
1: yeah I mean, obviously, the forces for agriculture and expanding agriculture is ever forging ahead. I mean, we just have an ever-growing population. We have an ever-growing need to feed them. So that's a hard thing to balance with this hypothetical in some people's minds. They don't see it as an inevitability. Um they haven't seen a pandemic like this in their lifetime. They don't know what that feels like and looks like as a consequence. And so it's very hard to convince people to invest in something they don't know to be catastrophic. They haven't felt that. Uh, we tried to really evoke that feeling and of preparedness and trying to rally the troops into investing in public health at the 100-year anniversary of the 1918 flu, mm-hmm. only two years ago. And so um, the CDC did a lot of profiles on it. We did it locally. We tried to really just drive the message home that epidemics and pandemics happen and they're devastating. Only two years later, we're here. So hopefully this will garner more attention in terms of preparedness. Preparedness is something we can do. It really is, but we need investment, we need resources and we need dedication
0: yeah i mean that kind of is going to come down towards a value system you know what we value as a a culture of people and you know not necessarily we valued you know the health and well-being of people around us but you know we're only as good as the lowest you know lowest sum of of the people we are around and you know just because you're in a fine neighborhood or fine area doesn't mean you know you're insusceptible to a disease or a virus um and you know it's sad to say you know it's like can be a wake-up call because i mean we're still not through this you know and i'd like you to like kind of fill people in from you know what you've been working on who you've been talking with um what you've seen um you know where we are in you know people will talk talk about the curve or the wave but you know kind of fill us in of where we're at with the uh, COVID 19
1: and we're not even close to being out of the woods yet to be honest um so Projections put the peak in Washington state to be mid April. And that's just the peak of the number, the highest number of deaths we're going to have in a day is April 15th, according to the models that we have with a million variables being right. That's a lot of assumptions going in there. And I expect them to be more or less accurate, but at the same time, again, there's quite a few dynamics that are
0: ever shifting and ever changing. What do those numbers look like?
1: Um, so for Washington, we could expect maybe something around like 500 deaths. It's not nearly what New York is predicted to have, um, but at the same time, it's not going to be pleasant at all. We haven't had 500 deaths from an infectious disease in this state in a very, very long time. So the... Resources in Washington State, according to these projections, it looks like we're okay on hospital beds, we're okay on ICUs, we're okay on ventilators. Again, that is a big if. The margin of error on these estimates is huge. You're like, oh, it could be as high as this, it could be low as this, but this is the middle point that we're going to give you as the estimate. So
0: those highs and lows are very, very alarming, you know, especially I, I look at them, you know, as, as a percentage of the U.S. population. You know, that one to two percent, just off that. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a very, very blown worst case. You know, three to six million people, but um, you know, it's not that far, not not that unconceivable.
1: Right, and that that would be everyone getting infected, yeah. which right now we're having a very small percentage of the population still getting infected of course if this continues unabated yes that will be our inevitability so a lot of our states washington state included have kicked into various different levels of non pharmaceutical interventions so that's kind of one of the pieces to tease apart is that public health You have the research branch and the medical branch. It's more healthcare, dealing with treatment, dealing with vaccines. Um, Then you have the non-pharmaceutical side of public health. And that's more what we do, which is the actual disease investigation, figuring out who your close contacts are that might be infected, asking them to stay home too, or forcing them to stay home. We can do that too. And then working from there. The nuclear option is what happened in Hubei province in china which is like no one gets to move no one gets to leave That's what called. was some of that
0: stuff they would be spraying in the air like if they were like just spraying the streets down i would see like just. Um,
1: i mean like probably a bleach solution
0: aerosol uh, bleach and bleach yeah.
1: no like a one to ten bleach solution kills most things and so. aerosol
0: be- bleach but like they would just aerosol it kind of and just
1: Probably because no one was out and about, and they were wearing their own personal protective gear so that they could do it.
0: That's just crazy, just to think bleach being sprayed in the air like that. I've never heard or seen that, so it's like trying to wrap my head around it, you know, in the spur of the moment.
1: I mean, they might have used other disinfecting products, but personal preference is one to (laughs) ten. Really well, um, and so those ways of keeping people apart. To prevent disease transmission opportunities, slows down the possibility of getting more people sick. But it takes time for us to see the effect of that, and so that is where those projections of the peak of April fifteenth in Washington come from, because we put in social distancing only like a week ago, with, with a real order with real teeth, and then it takes two, three weeks for us to see the worst of it and then for it to taper off again. And then we have to figure out how to kind of like let people out of this lockdown, get back into society and not have it resurge again. So ideally, the only way really in my mind to pull that off is we have the testing we should have had at the beginning. widespread. Readily available for everyone testing to figure out who's infected, who's not, and then let the non infected individuals out and work.
0: And those tests um, I've heard of a few I haven't gotten tested myself. Um, it's one where you like go, it kind of goes in your nose and goes all the way to the back if of you're your your, your
1: brain. You don't want to do it. I, mm-hmm. They're also though um, now accepting better or more comfortable. Testing methods. So, actually, what's really brilliant is now that they're trying to pursue the patient themselves swabs their own nose and not back in their brain in the front of their nose. Um, and that way, we don't have healthcare providers having to spend all of their personal protective equipment, their masks, their face shields, goggles, because a patient is not infectious to themselves. They can take their own specimen just fine. And then put it in a tube, put it in a bag, hand it off. So that would be a game changer because I'm sure you've seen that our personal protective equipment supplies are in dire straits and it's only going to get worse.
0: Yeah. I have a friend who just moved to New York city to be an anesthesiologist at a uh, hospital up on like 68th and 2nd. And now he's been moved right over into ICU and you know, Every day, it's just you know trying to keep tabs on them keep in touch with them and he's working on the front lines and you know seeing what he has to see you know it's kind of you know the do- job description you get as a nurse or doctor when you first start and but you know we've we've been so privileged to live in a society that's so safe from warfare or you know disease like this that you know this is life though this is this is mother nature and this is how we have to counteract and like or live with it this is what's gonna ha- what can happen.
1: I think it's also, frankly, entirely appropriate to think of this as war, to be honest. Absolutely. I, and I think that we need to be realistic, but determined. We need to continue to fight this no matter what comes, no matter what happens. It's going to hurt. It's going to be pretty awful. But we will get through it in the end. We will win in the end it's just gonna, it's gonna take time, it's gonna take sacrifice, and it's gonna take sacrifice from all of us. And so being realistic about that, and especially not holding anyone to any dates um, of when this would be over, because that is completely unpredictable.
0: So hard. I don't know how they're trying to, (laughs) you're only gonna hurt yourself, shoot yourself in the foot trying to give people dates and times.
1: Right. So our president said he was going to open it up by Easter. He's already taken that off the table. And it's, it's just not a good idea to promise anyone anything in terms of dates at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about, you know, ways to counteract this and, you know, quarantining and keeping people away from uh, contacting other people is the best way to slow down the spread of this disease. But what's the difference between isolation and quarantine?
1: great question. I love that because everyone is using the wrong words and, you know, it's not really that big of a deal, but I think it's helpful. Um, so quarantine is for people who have no symptoms. They've been exposed, but they have no symptoms yet. So trivia fact, quarantine actually comes from the Italian word for 40, quarenti, and it was from Black Plague. They would make peop, sailors stay in, on their ships in the port for 40 days until they, no one had symptoms for 40 days. They were allowed to be on shore because it proved that they didn't have the plague. So that's what quarantine is, making sure you don't get sick so that you can't spread it to others if you did. Isolation is when you do have symptoms, when you are sick. And so now you need to stay home. Operationally, it's the same for people. You need to stay home away from others. And so that I think is part of the confusion, but it's different timelines between those two things. Quarantine, we have to have you stay home for two whole weeks, because that's how we know it, how long it could take for you to get sick. And then for isolation, it's all about what your, how your body heals. Uh, so if your body feels faster, woohoo, you get out of isolation faster. But if you're sick as a dog for three weeks, you need to stay home for all of those weeks.
0: I actually think I found it very effective. Um, one positive thing of social media through this is people being able to, who have either logged their symptoms and the time that, you know, either they've had COVID or they've had a flu and, you know, expressing what symptoms are feeling that, you know, people can really take a look at what's happening because like you mentioned if you are in quarantine mode but you act end up contracting virus how you know where do you do how do you stay in your home what are ways that people can you know still you know not be booted from their home where someone's like whoa like hey listen we love you but you gotta go
1: yeah yeah we're trying to get out of that fear response but honestly like what south korea has done and what china did is they took people who were sick out of their homes and took them to a place where they could recover away from their families to prevent their families from getting sick and i don't think that that's entirely unreasonable i think that that's something that we might actually have to seriously explore in this country is having a place where people can recover safely have medical personnel checking in on them just to make sure they're doing well making sure of course they have all of their basic needs taken care of but having people just ride it out at home with their family is just a great way to guarantee that the whole family's going to go down. Mm-hmm. And that is also a problem and just continues to spread the disease.
0: Yeah. I think like, I mean, that's the idea of, you know, the national guard building field hospitals, like, you know, using the public universities that are completely empty right now to these massive campuses, they have to have, you know, facilities such as these. I mean, I think I've, uh, I lived in Kuwait and I know people in the, uh, uh ministry of health there and i they would send me videos of you know they'd have these massive 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 facilities um looking warehouses and just people standing six to nine feet apart like in rows and in columns just all being tested and apart from each other it was just like you know it, it, it can be done and you know it's just like america i mean just in any look back for world war ii it's just like we lack the discipline to get into it. But once we get the machine moving, it moves incredibly. It's just.
1: And again, it's one of those things where you need to have strong goals and leadership for what exactly needs to happen, getting the whole American public to sign on to that and, and getting it done. Yes. I think it's doable. I think that we need to start making that action soon, 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 soon.
0: Yeah. And it comes down to education i would really would really like to ask you um to explain or at least express you know what social distancing means or means to you because I mean I'm on the phone once a day with my family members Florida right. one of i'm just I'm petrified at what could potentially happen there uh, I've been following this closely, and it's just please don't go out. why are you having game night like you you live your elderly you live in a 100,000 person community with older people and it's like every day a panic of like did you stay at home right. <laughs> did you keep to yourself so the so and people still traveling cross country uh, on flights so please um <laughs> give your spiel on social distancing
1: all i got to say is this is not a drill folks i'm telling you this is not a drill and By social distancing, really the better word would say physical distancing, because we want you to still have social relationships with your families and friends. Use technology to do that. You just can't be close to each other physically, like straight up. You need to keep your distance. And it's just, that's how the disease is transmitted. It's super infectious. It's three times more infectious than flu. If you've seen flu travel through your household, you know that that still wasn't fun. This is even more infectious. And again, we're thinking it's mostly close contact, picking up things after other pe- infectious people have handled it. But on top of that, most viral bugs, this one included, you're infectious before you even know you're sick. So you can't just say, oh, I'm feeling fine, it won't be bad. You're actually infectious for at least two days before you even know it. And so That is a huge game changer in terms of control, and so that is why social distancing is so important, because you just don't actually know that you're in the clear when you're having these interactions, and you could just pass it off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, you had mentioned, for we had talked before this, you know, you have found the COVID-19 in feces and in uh, urine. So, I mean, even the washing your hands after the bathroom and knowing how many people don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. And this is in one, you know, I don't know if we have actual facts that this is spread this way, but it potentially can. From simply, you know, not washing your hands and exchanging with it staying on your the surface of your hands. You said touching... It's oh,
1: definitely them. spread that way, for sure. And also when people blow their nose or cough in their hands or cough in their elbow and then cross their arms right on the spot that they just coughed into their elbow. Um, yes, that all leads to possible transmission between you, your family, your close ones. So really, I mean... Good hand hygiene is everything. Like, sometimes I'm like, ah, I can't believe how revolutionary hand washing is. But screw it. I'm happy (laughs) people are doing it now. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Hand sanitizer is second rate to washing your hands. Um, And don't go out when you're sick. Stay home as much as possible. It's just one of those things where it's like, People still, I think, don't want it to be real. And that's why they're holding on and kind of being a little more defiant. I think there's a lot of fear that we're all experiencing right now and we all react to fear differently. But ignoring expert advice is a pretty poor tact to dealing with fear. So please listen to the people around you trying to give you good information and actually take them seriously.
0: Well, I mean, that's one of those uh, stages of, you know, denial or stages of, um, I don't know.
1: It's like a grief stage.
0: The grief stage, yeah. Like if we deny it, we don't actually reflect on it being there. Like, is it actually real? I've confronted a few people about that. And I think um, it goes into what I want to talk about next is like information and misinformation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know one of the big things is, you know, like I said, once we're trying to point out blame and you know point the problem, a lot of people are saying, well, we want to call this the Chinese virus. We want to call this the CCP virus. And you we, know, what is the problem with calling it that? What is the problem with you know people going online and getting into these very, you know, pooling, which which social media and you know, these things have done a terrible job. They claim to create community, but they just create little cesspools yeah. of, in, of of small groups who can just hear the echo chamber of exactly what they want to hear. Right. Uh, I mean, as, especially being in public health and getting people, you know, to take on these new traits, not traits, but, you know, new tactics to say to defeat these diseases or battle these viruses, you know, how do you combat the misinformation and getting the right information out there?
1: Um, Well, you know, in public health, that's just what we do every day. We are always having conversations with people that sometimes are hard. We're dealing with people's different value systems. Um, and, And really key to ever getting anyone to change their mind is listening to them. If you just come in, guns blazing, and you just try and shove a point down someone's throat, no one ever changed their mind that way. So you have to have an honest conversation, an open conversation with people to figure out where they're at and why they're there. Because really, at the end of the day, there's a lot of decisions that we all have the same value behind, like a fear value. We're all scared. So if we all recognize that is a motivator, then we can get actually quite far in this conversation. But really, what we do, I, I'm answering calls from the public all day long. I'm answering calls from doctors as well. And I just make sure that I spend my time listening first to what they're asking and then responding in the pieces that I can to their specific questions and then asking, Can I answer any more questions for you? And just really being a two way street open conversation. On a more mass scale, making things digestible, making it really contextual for people is very important. So for example, we have a significant Hispanic population. And so actually talking about the barbecues with your family and your extended family, we would call extended family, in my context, I have a tiny family, Um, but the cousins of the cousins,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that's not extended family in Hispanic culture. That is close family. And so they're always over. And when you say like, only stay with your close family, well, that's their close family. So you need to talk about that in a much more culturally relevant way for with people. We've got great people on our team who represent all the cultures that we need to access. And they're able to put that context into play for people. But and also finding the best way to get that message to them is it the radio is, it, it's probably not Facebook sometimes. It's not PSAs, maybe it's TV. You got to find the right way to get that message out. We've seen some crazy stuff in terms of misinformation. Like we saw at one point that you should drink bleach to prevent coronavirus. And that is a great way to skip the sickness of coronavirus and just go straight to dying. But
0: wouldn't recommend that Do you know who put this report out
1: oh yeah no but again
0: it's just someone who just made a blog post you know from a dot dot com and it just yeah gotcha
1: probably wasn't even a blog post probably was just a facebook rumor that just took off and people maybe shared it facetiously but some people were like should we actually do this and of course corona beer is taking a huge hit and everyone's loving to joke that it's corona beer but you know, it, there's such a thing as having a good sense of humor about things. I, I like memes as much as the next person, but mm-hmm. uh, there is a line where it becomes racist, when it becomes stigmatizing, when it becomes problematic, that it actually causes more harm than it does help anyone laugh something off. And so at a, if you're thinking of this as a war effort, you need to think of how you are going to help your fellow... American get through this and that is not through divisiveness. That is through collaboration and working together at a distance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to say like we're all soldiers right now, I mean, you nurses and doctors working at front line are much more um would say on the front lines, but you know Mm -hmm. think of it as as you're in a war. Do your part. Pretend you're a soldier. What's your order right now? Stay in quarantine, stay away.
1: Or, or here, if you like really are getting antsy, support the people on the front line with really clear orders, like make meals for them and drop them off at their doors. These people are probably so exhausted they're not getting good nutrients in their day. So that is a way to support them because write letters of encouragement to your friends and family that are on the front lines, telling them you support them and you're thinking of them. That means a lot. That means a lot to keep their morale high and keep them fighting. So there's things you can do still without direct your role today is you're going to do this for mm-hmm. the government or by the government's orders. Um, there's still so much we can do for each other in this time.
0: In regards to the misinformation, I was, I was just thinking about it. You really are battling. I mean, you have these 24-hour news cycles or, you know, any media company now that needs to be putting out two, three, four things in each wave of the day the morning the midday the afternoon they, they need to give people something to digest and you know like um like many of the tragic deaths we've had you know just like the start this year you know like the Kobe Bryant one um you know this virus itself you know it's, it's one of those things that's beyond our control and because we have such a the psychology of human beings today is like, oh, we have an explanation for everything. There's a rational reason for everything. We can put something to it. We, have, we are so free to do it that we make conspiracy theories
1: and yeah. we'd love to get,
0: run away with them. And we have to realize like, sometimes there's something we can't explain right. to why it happened or it's just something that just happened. And that's why it happened. You know, it's, it's sad and tragic, but like we have to be able to, you know, somehow find a way to rational relate it. And, you know, we're getting to that point where people can't talk to each other. Like you're trying to come at it as patient, empathetical But, you know, like you said, everybody's in their own stage.
1: Everyone's in their own stage. But also, like we've, I've personally had now my experience with the media as well, where we got an LA Times article. I don't know if you saw it. Skagit County made it into the LA Times two days ago. And it it was not quite the article i was hoping for to be completely honest because what we had here in our county was a group that a choir group that got together um, on march 10th when we didn't even we had just announced our first confirmed case in the whole county we now have 150 cases it's only been 20 days we went from 1 to 150 that quickly for a small county. So it's been a long three weeks since then. But on on the 10th, this 60-person choir group got together and they implemented social distancing at their choir group, but they sang together for two hours. No one had symptoms, yet the next day and the next four days after that, 45 of them got sick. So that's 75% of them went down and actually two of them have now died and it's been really sad and really awful and so we published uh just an announcement that we had a cluster in the community it was a closed group our team called every single member of the corral that was there or not figured out who had symptoms it was like 200 calls over two days that we did and then called all their close contacts, especially found anyone who was symptomatic and then asked them to isolate and quarantine too. But we then released it to the community that we had the cluster. No one asked too many questions about it, but then finally a reporter said, okay, who is the cluster? And we said, it's the Skagit Valley Corral. They said that that we could tell you their name. And this reporter did a good investigative job and, and asked the corral to do these quotes about what happened. But what, where I got really dismayed with the article is that the reporter asked us um, a couple questions, but then didn't bother to ask us, hey, do you think this could have been an airborne transmission event? Because we would have said no. This bug is known to be transmitted by droplets which travel about six feet. If you're in a room full of people trying to sing at the top of their lungs for two hours. A lot of
0: droplets get out.
1: You think that a lot of droplets could happen? I think a lot of droplets could happen. So the science was still there. I mean, I can't rule out airborne, but he has now really perpetuated this airborne transmission that is not really backed up at all by our situation. And so after his article, all the media agencies descended upon us and said do you think this could be airborne do you think this could be airborne and we had to try we had to toe that line like really directly with the media being like this is not evidence of airborne transmission and so they really wanted us to say that it was um we don't have evidence of that though and so it's just a little heartbreaking to use a tragedy to push something that's not actually backed up by science so you know the news cycle is hard it's really hard
0: well i mean like i said it goes back to the values of us as a culture you know we understand that preying on the you know you know the uncertainty the unknown of the fear is going to sell more headlines like that are going to bring more people in they, more
1: it, people it, he watch. slapped a really horrible headline on it too it said that the i think the headline is they decided to have their practice anyway, and now two people are dead. At that time, it's brutal, it's brutal. And, and at that time, well, there was no order at all in the county or across the state that people had to not have these events. Like, we said in a, a press conference only hours before they had their practice that we thought that our health officer said, we recommend you don't have events of 50 people or more. Well, 60 people showed up. Are we really going to bash them about that? No. It's just a really unfortunate circumstance and it just really sucks that he put that headline on it.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, I. I it's, it's so unfortunate because like you said, there's those who I'll look at all this that's happening and say, oh my God, I want it to be the worst case scenario. And then you have people, you know, again, in their own little echo chambers hearing that, oh, this isn't real. Right. This, might, this might just, I, I think, um, you know, people not realizing influence and, you know, with social media or even the media itself, like you put something out there like that, that's what we would call screaming fire in a, la- in a crowded theater. If you're going to do that, you need to be held responsible for that. And we've like, you know, well, anybody can have social media if you can afford a cell phone and if you have a computer and you can able to have these things because they're free and you can go on there and say what you want. And I mean, it's...
1: And it can go viral and it becomes the next rumor that people are saying that ibuprofen, you shouldn't take ibuprofen with coronavirus. That's not backed up.
0: I saw that one come out at the beginning. Yeah. Can you give us some other ones that have been uh, debunked other things in case people do contract this or they know somebody with it and they don't uh, jump the gun on something they may have seen or read. That's like you said, I've seen these things too. So obviously they're in the void.
1: Yeah. I mean, God, they morph day to day. So it's hard to even stay relevant with the myths that I've seen, but really just good information is, You can manage these symptoms, a lot of these symptoms, yourself at home. Your normal flu medication that you take when you feel sick will still help in this case. And of course, if you need to go to the doctor, you need to go to the doctor. You get to make that call. But it's not, it's a mild symptom or it's a mild illness in quite a few people. Like 80% of people are going to be able to ride it out at home with their normal stuff. Don't try any new, crazy medications now. I've seen people trying to really seize the opportunity of hydroxychloroquine, um, which is a medication for quite a few diseases. And now they're trying to self-medicate their coronavirus infection. And it's killed some people already. Um, You shouldn't be taking prescription drugs or any drugs, really. You shouldn't be taking over-the-counter medications. Not as prescribed, period. End of story. There you go don't do that. That is a great way to also accelerate past the coronavirus infection and just die. Just yeah.
0: don't do it. <laughs> why, why is it that some, you know, media outlets are saying then for different states or, you know, um, different governors who have tried to, you know, withhold people making a run on hydrochloroquine, um, and I forgot the other uh, drug that's been paired with it. Why, like, why are people getting upset that, you know, governors or, you know, l- leaders in states are saying, hey, we can't just let you self-prescribe to that because, you know, I think people realize it's a, it's one of the main um, preventative drugs for malaria. I mean, I've i taken it when I've gone to South America and it's, it's an intense, it's an intense over-the-counter pill. I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say a level of like a antibiotic, but it's going to shift, you know, your immune system around in order to prevent and fight something that's a disease that can kill
1: you. <laughs> yeah. i we probably are gonna have to. Yeah, we haven't done it yet, maybe in a really strong way, but we're probably gonna have to start doing like massive PSAs shortly because people are gonna start self medicating and medicating incorrectly and taking the medication away from the people who are actually needing to take it for autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like the toilet paper hoarding phenomenon too. It's it's a panic <laughs> reaction. It's and it's just this crazy social phenomenon that they see something someone doing something somewhere else and then they jump on it for
0: some that's reason. That's the mob mentality. I it mean we're mob. we're seeing it we're seeing it happen, like you said, with with toilet paper. You know, that's the thing we'll be able to laugh at the end of this. Like, do you guys did you run to the store and get toilet paper like an idiot?
1: Yeah. Were you there <laughs> with Chris there was <laughs> nothing there? Empty, empty hallways for in the grocery aisles with nothing in it yeah just quite something it's really also just important to not do the stockpiling thing in Mm. general for everything right now because you're also removing items from other people who can't afford to stockpile anyway in the first place they just needed one and you took all of them and so it is it's not a victimless crime to just start saying, oh, I'm going to just buy everything out and stockpile it. You are actually potentially causing real harm to the people around you by doing that. So mm-hmm. take what you need. Two weeks is fine. And then you don't need your toilet paper fortress to last you through to September.
0: I know we talked about you know, trying to figure out what, what people can do you know, who are quarantined in their homes or they're even, uh, hopefully, uh, God forbid, they're not under isolation um, and they want to do something. You know, I think I've wrestled with that. I've heard, you know, donating blood, but I don't know where or how you could go donate blood or if it actually is needed. Again, I gotta go check my information.
1: It is. Um, um,
0: how could you go do that safely right now in these times?
1: I, you know, donating blood and like the actual blood donation process, they use like sterile processes that are way more advanced than your normal doctor's office frankly. They are already dealing with infectious diseases and threats of infectious diseases all the time. Mm-hmm. So their, their efforts are actually quite good. And what they're probably doing in all of the blood banks right now is uh, they keep you separated by six feet anyway. You need all the equipment around you. You need to be able to lie down. All of the people who are probably taking the donations are wearing masks. And so you can do that safely. Okay. And actually... My boyfriend tried to donate blood and because I was bugging him to do that and he actually couldn't even get an appointment for the next month. They're totally booked up because right. of the call to action that's happened recently. So feel free to call your local blood donation center to see if they actually are in need of blood and have that like availability for appointments they might not because honestly we've been really pushing that message for like a week now and people have really come to the aid of the blood banks other places that honestly you should reach out to your department of emergency management your local department of emergency management they're the ones who put together the volunteers and they put people to work um we're still trying to figure out how a volunteer corps can assist us right now A lot of the stuff we do ourselves in-house and we're able to do it ourselves in-house still. That very well might change pretty quickly. And so then we would bring in volunteers. But volunteer corps could do such things as delivering groceries uh, to people who are under quarantine or home isolation that aren't supposed to be going out. They also could be delivering them to people with immunocompromised situations or high-risk people who also shouldn't really be going out. Um, I've seen plenty of apps pop up, creative tech solutions for this kind of like crowdsourcing for grocery deliveries. Um, little insular communities like your Buy Nothing groups on Facebook, those are great opportunities where you can offer your support to your neighbors directly. Um, and then in time, we very well might see places where we need volunteers, especially among people who've recovered from coronavirus to potentially like transport people currently infected to a place where they can cu- safely quarantine and safely isolate away from other people. That would be potentially a place where we need to go to is mm-hmm. use people's natural however long it might last immunity because we don't know it'll last forever um i haven't seen any studies on reinfections but we just aren't not certain about that not being possible and so but in the short term you should have an immune response that should protect you from a secondary infection so that could be really useful if we end up needing people who can take care of people who are currently sick so more to come but yeah certainly start signing up with your local emergency management agencies, getting your name on the books, giving them what your skills are and seeing if they can't use you already, if they won't be able to use you in a couple weeks.
0: I think it also is a good opportunity for people who, you know, potentially and fortunately, you know, been laid off, lost their jobs, or maybe jobs are in um, um, furlough. I think is the term. Um, You know, there's most of the government funding is going towards, you know, uh, distress needs right now, so I mean, potentially, you know, future job, you know, and you know, you're, you're helping people. I mean, there's there's no better, greater feeling to help people, and this is a great opportunity for you to get into a brand new field. And obviously, this is not just going to be a a one year thing. You know, this is going to be with us for a while until we can really, really get a hold of it, because you know, there's some parts of the world that hasn't even touched yet, and it's going to get it's going to get wild.
1: Yes we need a vaccine. So for everyone, vaccines are, are great things. I'm just going to, that's my little public health moment for the group, <laughs> is that vaccines are the single second best invention of public health. Sanitation is the first. saved the most lives of anything that we've ever done. Is creating the toilet and creating sinks. So use those and get your vaccines.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where I was going <laughs> to head to next. And lastly, I think you mentioned on our phone call before this, like this is, I forgot the exact term or phrase, but you said this is a disease that's going to need a vaccine in order to, um I wouldn't say defeat it or at least suppress it within yeah. the species. So maybe you can explain, you know, you gave your your spiel and uh, pitch on vaccines, and I want to let you know first before you judge me, I'm with you on those. Um <laughs> because it's getting to that point. And I, I've seen people online, like they, they're trying to vaccinate all of us now. They're trying to get us, like this has been the entire thing to get people to vaccine, it's like.
1: Oh, the, the massive conspiracy theory that I'll kill a bunch of people first to make sure that you get a vaccine. Yeah, sure, okay.
0: <laughs> this is their thing. So um, I would say go into the science first, you know, why we need a vaccine for this particular virus and you know what that's going to do for us and why it's important to get this one?
1: Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people have asked me that actually recently saying, oh, with all of these people getting infected right now, won't we have herd immunity? And herd immunity, I like to actually say community immunity where you have enough people in the community that are now immune that you don't have the ability to spread easily.
0: That was one of the cases in the UK that they were trying to do. We're just going to go with herd immunity. We're going to let people get it. Everybody get in the tube. No worries.
1: Oh my gosh. That would be disastrous, of course. For well, a lot they just reached kids.
0: 500 deaths today. It's it's right. unbelievably tragic.
1: That is a great way to get to 32 million deaths in this country, is just saying, hey, everyone out there, go get naturally infected.
0: Awesome. I, I, I don't want to laugh at it. Like,
1: yeah, it's quite something. Um also, if we just let it go and never developed a vaccine, it would take like 10 to 20 to 30 years for enough people in the country to have it naturally to then have community immunity. <laughs> so it's not something you can just let it take its course for the next 10 to 20 to 30 years. People will die all along the way. And that's a long time to like wait for this to happen. So th- those reasons beget why we need a vaccine because then we can mass deploy a vaccine across a nation and make sure people can get immunity without having to suffer. <laughs> I don't understand why people want to be naturally immune through an infection. It's a really uncomfortable, painful, if not deadly, infection so if you could get just a poke in the arm to then be immune that seems like a better deal to me and so vaccine development is not quick at its fastest could be 18 months um, it's certainly not under a year under a year that vaccines not a viable option frankly and dr Anthony fauci has said so much on the press briefings. So maybe in fall 2021 we will have a viable vaccine that we can then deploy at that point. But it's going to take a long time, and so we need to stall. And that's where the social distancing comes in. It is buying us time.
0: I, I it's buying time for the vaccine, but it's also buying time because we just can't let. 30 million people right away get this disease because we don't have the supplies to do that. It's just a tactic to deal with. We know people are going to get sick, but you know, we don't have the hospital supplies, you know, our big case for privatized health insurance, like, Oh, well, you know, our hospitals have turned into Venezuela. Now there's yeah. lines out the door. I mean, I thought this would never happen, you know, and that's, as a debate and a topic for a whole nother day, but um, you know, your worst fear has finally come true.
1: (laughs) But it's just with infectious diseases, do not care about the money you make, the insurance you have, anything else. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't respect any boundaries. They infect who they infect. And as long as someone out there has the disease, they can spread it to someone else. And so really it is one of those things where it's like the we're only as healthy as the person who can't get to the doctor can't pay for the doctor and thus will stay at home or go around and continue to work because they can't pay their bills so they're going to keep going to work while they're infectious and infect other people that we are as a society are only as healthy as that person
0: Mm -hmm. um i wanted to say I'm so happy I got to steal you for way more than 30 minutes and thank you for being such a big trooper. <laughs> uh, I want to leave with one thing because I think it's going to be a great uh, scope and um, what's the thing? Uh, a good uh, barrage of color. What's what's those things called? Well, I'm butchering it anyways, but I wanted you to kind of give like that worst and best case scenario of, you know, from time, numbers, where we're going and what that looks like and what we do this and when we do that, how does that what happens in that result
1: well i guess worst case scenario is 32 million people in the united states die that's the worst um
0: is that over a span of how long
1: oh it could be fast and furious and terrible if we don't deal with it still uh, sure yeah i mean if people continue to go out and don't acknowledge social distancing then yeah it could be really awful really fast wow um And so again, it's not a drill anymore. And if we are able to really like smooth it out, flatten the curve, which is the rallying cry we're all paying attention to now, it can be way less painful than that. And that is really a factor of time because the reason we need ventilators is because what happens Physically, when people get critically ill with COVID-19 is their lungs fill with fluid. And there's no way actually for us to artificially or like go in and remove that fluid for them. Their body has to do it. And so a ventilator keeps them alive long enough for their body to do it themselves. And so if we have this critical rush of people in there, then we have no ventilators. And we have no time for people to actually recover on their own. And so that is how we lose people. And so we need to protect that healthcare capacity as long as we can.
0: I know a few doctors have passed too from, you know, treating people with the virus. Um, you know, how are we with medical professionals? Kind of got into one more question there, but how are we with, you know, the number of medical professionals that we have? You know, do we need volunteers, like eventually for those asked for that part cuz we don't have I know it's already a very very not that sought after job again towards the values of our country but like we're, we don't have that many of these soldiers
1: we don't we don't and there's a whole bunch of challenges that we're going to face with staffing we could have we could have all the ventilators in the world if we don't have the staff to execute the process and take care of these patients we're still nowhere so there's a lot of logistics ahead of us that we're gonna have to figure out and it's gonna be tough. We do have medical students that could be accelerated through their programs. And honestly, it's gonna be a scary world to enter, but that's kind of what doctors signed up for. Same thing with nurses. So we'll see what happens. Of course, we need to make sure that they are protected, that they are able to do their jobs as safely as they can do their jobs. So then we have to get our manufacturing in order and to actually have the protective equipment that they need. Lots, lots of different places that we need to work on every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for your time and giving me the extra time. Um, I got to do a quick little spiel sign off. Um, and guys, down below, and wherever you're listening to this on a podcast or you're watching this on YouTube, I'm gonna be linking a bunch of information that Leah and I talked about and just she's gonna have her send over a bunch more stuff where if you have any questions, you need to look up on stuff. I even have stuff on those twelve hundred dollar checks coming in from the IRS I wanna to leave to you if you need to know how to get that, because you do need help. Um, you know, this is war, this is a completely different scenario. None of us have ever experienced this, but we're in it together and the more you know, the more knowledge you have better understanding of how you can save yourself and the people around you. Which is our entire country. You know, we're a unit. And so Leah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time tonight. Alright. Have a good one, guys. Um for those who